You're listening to the Data Point Podcast, brought to you by The Hindu. I'm your host, Sonika Loganathan. Last month, researchers from Yale and Columbia University in the United States released this year's Environmental Performance Index. The data-driven report uses 40 performance indicators across 11 issue categories to measure the state of sustainability across the world. The goal? To see how close different countries are to achieving their established environmental policy targets. In essence, this comprehensive breakdown of where each country stands on several key environmental indicators is a tool that policymakers can use to adjust and improve the plans they currently have in place. Some of the areas the EPI looks at are climate change, air quality, and biodiversity, which we'll be discussing today. India was ranked in last place, 180 out of 180, in this year's EPI, scoring extremely poorly in several indicators, including climate change, biodiversity, and air pollution. Unsurprisingly, the government of India was quick to call out the results. But it wasn't just the government that had an issue. Several Indian scientists and researchers shared the Environment Ministry's sentiments. Here to discuss this report and what India's sustainability situation is actually like is Chandra Bhushan, the President and CEO of the International Forum for Environment, Sustainability and Technology, Anand Sudarshan, the South Asia Director of the Energy Policy Institute at the University of Chicago, and Sharad Chandra Lele, a Distinguished Fellow in Environmental Policy and Governance at the Ashoka Trust for Research in Ecology and the Environment. Thank you everyone for joining me today. So when I was reading the methodology for the Environmental Performance Index, it seemed fair and thought through, and I think that's what a layman would understand the methodology to be. But the Environment Ministry refuted its findings, saying the indicators used in the assessment are based on, quote, unfounded assumptions, unquote. I was wondering if you could just break down the methodology that's used then. And Chandra, I'm going to start with you. Well, I, I will contest the very assumption that it, it's a fair methodology. The fundamental problem is in methodology itself. See, rating by its very nature uh, is a subjective exercise. A good rating is one which first tries to reduce that subjectivity, mm-hmm. normalizes all indicators, and then develops consensus around subjective matter. So this is a three-step process. So the first thing we used to do is to remove subjectivity as much as possible. The second step is every rating will at the end turn up into rating apple with oranges, and you don't want to do that, so you normalize indicator. And the third step is that if there is subjectivity, then you create consensus that fine. You, you get experts, people together to generate consensus mm-hmm. around that subjectivity. That this subjectivity is fine. We can live with the subjectivity. Now, all these three things I find has not been done. What about peer review, which is when a certain body of work is evaluated by other scientists or academics in that same field? I'm not sure what kind of peer review was done, because if you look at the indicators itself, even a person with basic knowledge of normalization would not agree on, on the kind of indicators and normalization they have done. And Chandra, in your column for the Financial Express, you explained this using an example of tree cover loss. So can you just get into that? They have used tree cover loss as an indicator to see whether deforestation is happening in a country or not. And in tree cover loss, 
Eritrea uh, is the best country. Now, the total dense forest cover in Eritrea is only about 50 hectares, which is like one part of Lutian's Delhi. Okay. Now, how do you compare absolute tree cover loss of a, 50 hectare, a country with 50 hectare dense cover with, say, for example, India with millions of hectares of dense cover with a tree cover loss of 1 lakh hectare? Okay. Mm -hmm. That's where the basic normalization uh, can be done. So I find that I'm not sure what kind of peer review they have done. Did you reach out to the team behind the EPI? That I have had interaction with the team uh, from Yale and Columbia. They have not given me satisfactory answers uh, so far. So I'm not sure it is a fair methodology. It is a peer reviewed methodology. Uh, it is not only government of India which has objected to it. Many of us have also objected mm -hmm. to it. So would you say that there's validity to the government's response? Government of India has given a standard response to every rating. My problem with government of India response is that I don't think government should have responded. Okay. There are so many of these ratings going around the world that, uh, and that is a problem in India. Okay. Even if a third grade institution in the Western world says India is the best, we shout from the rooftop that we are the best in the world. And if someone says you are bad, then you cry foul. Okay. I do not want my government to uh, respond to these kind of things. Sharad, go ahead. I'd just like to add that I think the problem is there's a difference between index and ratings. Indices have very limited value. Even if you make them absolute indices, they have very limited value because they collapse a hugely com complex issue of environment into a, a number, one single number. So you could, for example, have all countries in the world between you know 7 and 9 out of 10, let us say. And some country will still end up at 180 because they are at 7.0 and others are 7.1 and above. And what does that tell you about environmental performance? Nothing. So I think this relative ranking stuff is completely useless. Whereas you should be looking at only the absolute numbers. Are you 7 out of 10 or 3 out of 10? Secondly, as CB said, uh, the government of India, instead of responding to them and quibbling about de some details here and there, they could have actually said, is this, is this an occasion for us to look inwards and, and call for a meeting of people within the country who follow these issues to ask honest questions about where we are and, you know, put out maybe our own performance index, but uh, in a much more nuanced manner that tells us something about where we are with respect to, let's say, 10 years ago or five years ago. Anant, do you agree with this or do you have a different opinion? The Yale EPI indices, what are the useful things it does? So there's a large data set that comes with it. There's a huge amount of information on a whole range of indicators. So it's not just sort of the one or two things we might quibble about, but it's a, it's a whole range of indicators. You've got a bottom line score, which has India doing very badly. Uh, you also have individual scores with it. Is that this is more than just an exercise of coming up with one number. It's a data collection exercise on a whole range of indicators. It would be nice if we had that you know, being produced by uh, the government of India. So the constructive way of looking at this is not to ask whether India should be 180 or whether India should be 175. This is not an entrance exam. It makes no difference where you are uh, in terms of whether you are last in the world or in the, you know, uh, 10, 20 points above. But if you look at every single one of uh, the Yale EPI indicators together, you'll find that India does quite badly on, on most of them. And uh, nor is this particularly news to you know, uh, 
it shouldn't come as a surprise to most environmentalists in India, and it doesn't come as a surprise. I mean, we know, for example, that air pollution is a problem in India. We know that water pollution is a So I think the big picture question is, what is the point of a rating like this? So the point of a rating like this is that it puts together some a lot of data and it tells us, it reminds us, let's say, that things are not going well on a wide range of environmental outcomes in India. While the data point of Anand is fine, I also want us to understand how this rating was released and what messages it, it, it gave out. Okay, It message was you are 180. If you are big, if you are middle income or a poor country, if you are in Asia and Africa, you are bad environmentally. Okay, But if you are a rich country, you consume a lot, but your local environment is clean, you are the best in the world. Okay, so I don't think the message itself was right. The top countries of of EPR have very high consumption. Okay, whether you take per capita consumption per square kilometer consumption, in EPI indicator consumption does not even figure. Okay, I think every environmentalist knows that if you want to solve environmental problem, consumption is where you will have to attack. Now Denmark or or UK. I find it very difficult someone saying UK is the best country in the world, okay, environmentally. I would not like India to become UK any day, okay, and most environmentalists will agree right. to that. Uh, you know, it is not Anant a problem of one indicator. Take all the climate change indicators. There is out of nine indicators, seven indicators are growth rate. Now, how do you take growth rate, normalized growth rate for a developing countries to developed countries? It's not about quibbling, frankly speaking. It is about contesting a scientific method. I am not saying India is best in the world. UK is not best in the world either. So recognize while recognizing that India has problem and all of us will recognize India has problem. I am not willing to accept that the Western world is the, is the yeah. paragon of environmental performance in the world. And I fully agree with CB that there is a problem, fundamental scientific problem in certain parts of the whole uh, index. And I would uh, mildly uh, differ with CB in the sense that we could make a distinction between problems which have local origins and local consequences, such as say water pollution, uh, where we are the producers of water pollution and we are, uh, you know, our population faces the consequences and problems like climate change and to an extent even biodiversity, where the way the problem has been structured in the context of biodiversity, and certainly it is true for climate change, that emitters in one part of the world would affect the entire world. So what does then the question of what constitutes good performance is very different because ideally in an environment performance index, you would look at outcomes, right? You would look at has air quality improved, yeah. has biodiversity improved and so on. But in reality, you have very uh, limited data on actual outcomes. Uh, so you start using uh, proxies, actions taken towards those outcomes, right? So have you done something that will presumably lead to an improvement in the outcome? But take the exa example of climate change. What is the one indicator of climate change performance is whether the atmospheric carbon dioxide concentration is increasing or decreasing. And we all know it is increasing. The globe as a whole is doing terribly on the climate change uh, front. Next question is now how do you allocate this global performance index on climate change or this outcome uh, variable to different countries? Uh, and there the question is well, who is the biggest polluter? And we know who the, who the biggest polluters are on a per capita basis. The, Global North is incredibly higher than the Global South. So 
we come to this problem that when you have a global outcome such as climate change, the allocation question becomes absolutely central. So you have to first determine responsibility and then ask mm -hmm. what have you done towards meeting that responsibility. And a country which never signed the Kyoto Protocol, a country which backed out of the Paris Accord and we are giving them high marks for reducing their per capita consumption from 18 to 16. When it, you know the global south is sitting at 2, 3 and 4. So you are you're construing biodiversity as a global environmental good, not a local good, a right. global environmental good for whatever reason. You could argue that well, you know, if in my country tigers go, that's my problem, it's nothing to do with you. But that's not how we look at biodiversity. We look at it as the heritage of humankind uh, across the globe, right? So then you should ask the question, a country which has already wiped out all its biodiversity, why should they be getting high marks because they added one time, you know, one more protected area to an, in an empty country. So it, it, in, across the board in the biodiversity indicators, you see the focus is on habitat. Mm -hmm. A country which has put more habitat under protection uh, so gets better, you know, higher marks, but you're not actually looking at biodiversity outcomes. And right. then if you were looking at biodiversity outcomes, you would have asked the question over what time frame should you look at biodiversity outcomes over the last 10 years or over the last, you know, say 500 years and you'll get very right. different answers on the biodiversity question. These, these variables are different from say air pollution or water pollution because it really doesn't matter that, you know, 100 years ago, London was polluted. If this year London was doing well on air pollution, you would still say fine, London right now is doing well on the air pollution front. But the history definitely matters in the context of biodiversity because it's a cumulative index. It says more the species, the better the biodiversity. So if you have lost species in the last 50 years, uh, but not in the last one year, then, you know, it's still a problem. Each environmental variable is different. Environmental problem is different. And therefore, the way you would talk about performance has to be different. And there's absolutely no nuance of that kind in this uh, index and complete insensitivity to the question of allocating responsibility. Since we're talking about biodiversity, Brazil is ranked much higher than India, even though we're constantly being bombarded with headlines about deforestation in the Amazon rainforest. This year saw record high deforestation levels, with 10.6% more deforestation than the same time period last year. How did they manage to rank higher? There's very little information available, I suppose, across the globe. If you wanted to really compare countries, it's going to be difficult to get data on what is happening to particular species that are of relevance to that country. I, I presume that's the reason why. I mean, I'm cutting some slack here for the uh, researchers who, you know, as to why they don't really have the biodiversity itself at the top. If you want to measure performance on the biodiversity front, you would ask the question, what was the biodiversity last year and how is it this year? Uh, has it increased or, or, you know, stayed the same or decreased or something? Uh, but it's very difficult to get that information at at least a you know 180 country level, presumably. But there's the next question, which is you know you would ask, are there flagship species that you would use as a as an indicator and say, okay, are the flagship species doing well? They haven't really tried that either, and their entire focus mm -hmm. in this set of uh, variables that they, they have used for the biodiversity sector is habitat, habitat, habitat. And again, it's uh, it seems to go. So with some combination of percentage and some combination of absolute value. And at the end of the day, you have the West doing well and South Asia in particular doing really badly. Right. So I think there's a real problem because habitat uh, in terms of what percentage of the country is uh, under protection. So you could have Brazil doing well. Brazil is a big country and they could have a significant percentage also. There's a relatively low, uh, you know, uh, low density of population. 
they put a significant percentage of their uh, country under protected areas, the landscape under protected areas. Whereas in a densely populated country like India, mm -hmm. you are not going to be able to put, uh, you know, a ridiculously high number under uh, uh, protection um, in terms of strict protection, national parks and wildlife sanctuaries anyway, right? The, the indices are not weighted towards looking at what is happening overall. They themselves acknowledge they are focusing on the creation of protected areas as the sole vehicle for biodiversity conservation. Whereas you could have a lot of biodiversity outside protected areas that is being lost because you are losing the forest uh, rapidly in those areas. Anand, what do you think? I mean, I think uh, to some extent, I, I think the biodiversity portion of this index to me is the is the weakest, or mm -hmm. at least it's a bit of an odd man out. The reason it's an odd man out is it's uh, it's it's essentially measuring implementation of a policy decision, which is whether you should have protected areas uh, as a stand-in for the environmental outcome of interest, which is say species count or mm -hmm. a measure of biodiversity uh, that's objectively the environmental outcome of interest. So as I said, you can, you can certainly have species protected and a diversity of species through different ways, one of which is protected areas. So to your, to your question, I mean, I, I don't think it is feasible in a country like India to mm -hmm. use protected lands as you know the primary policy instrument i think the impacts are are very important i mean there's uh, the loss of keystone species right. in particular have large impacts on human health so it's it's not just existence value um and i think sharad alluded to the fact that you know uh, in if there's one reason why we might care about the history of species uh, that have ever been lost in a country uh, but even independent of that, if you lose one additional species today, you're worse off from the baseline of today than another country that has not done so. And maybe that country wiped out a lot of species in the past, but on the baseline of today, you're worse off. But I don't think mm -hmm. protected areas is the way uh, that we will get there. India puts out the State of Forest Report, but in those reports, the definition of what a forest is, is constantly changing. India, as per those reports, has actually seen an increase in forest cover. Sharath, can you break this down? What does this actually mean? Well, I, I've been writing about this for ages. I mean, now looking only at India, right? I think uh, the, you use the word forest cover. The uh, EPI uses the word tree cover. And there, therein lies the story of how India itself is playing around with this issue, right? Because and we have not asked the question, why do we care about forest cover? If you ask the question why you care about forest cover, you get different answers depending upon uh, uh, you know which benefits you are focusing on. So if you are focused on the carbon sequestration benefits of, of forests, uh, which is the latest trend or latest kind of uh, uh, you know uh, direction that the debate has taken, then you would wouldn't really care whether it was oil palm or uh, eucalyptus or uh, you know a natural species that is endemic to India uh, because it's all carbon. On the other hand, if you cared about biodiversity, then you would want to look at for, you know, forests as an, uh, an association of species which are part of this uh, landscape and not just a random association of species uh, planted for the sake of look, you know, making the place look green. So uh, why do we care about forest cover determines what we measure, how we define forests and therefore what we measure. And to take another uh, angle, if you are a local person who is dependent on forests for livelihoods and uh, which includes firewood and grazing and so on and so forth, 
you would prefer an open canopy forest you would perhaps be trimming the trees in order to get firewood without cutting down the whole tree in which case you would see very little tree crown cover which is what actually the forest survey of india measures through satellites is uh, the canopy cover while there could still be a lot of tree density on the ground but the crown cover will look very uh, you know low so again you will get a different story because the, the community might rank the forest as productive but the crown cover variable will look uh, low and so we will say this is not a good forest cover so i think we need to, need to really step back from this obsession uh, again i'm focusing on the debate within india the obsession of again coming up with a number and saying oh we are doing well we have gone from 21% to 22% or whatever uh, and the role of science here is to unpack to actually provide information in a way that can be sliced in different ways can be understood from different perspectives uh, a number which would you know rather than one number a data set which tells us what is happening on the carbon front what's happening on the biodiversity front and what's happening in terms of the productivity of things that people are dependent upon in the local community would really be much more useful than one number which said our tree canopy cover went up by this number uh, you know or that number so i think that's uh, my take on this whole story and therefore also you see there when uh, the epi looks at tree cover again they are falling into the same trap should they look at tree cover should they look at forest cover which means natural forest and as we know very well in the indian context this matters because uh, natural forest cover has gone down while plantations have increased therefore tree cover has gone up so it just reveals that the, all those fault lines uh, in, in this issue on that note i think that one of the solutions we've seen a lot that's become really popular is to just plant more trees and you know grow our forest by planting more trees is this actually effective what does tree planting do if anything i you know in india and across the world actually planting tree has become like atoning your environmental sin okay everyone wants to plant tree even in places where tree should not exist from grassland to you know uh, productive uh, hilltop where you know tree should not be there and cannot exist uh, to desert uh, uh, to you know this is now any problem you want to solve in in the world you want to plant tree in india also you want to save soil so the answer is plant tree you want to save kaveri plant tree you want to save river plant tree so planting tree has become almost like that you could do all kind of sins and just atone it by planting one tree okay i think this is a very dangerous solution to the kind of environmental problems we have and the solution we want because we are forgetting the role of different ecosystems so one problem in india's forest is that forest report is that we are not considering what ecosystem and what role it has to play and what kind of trees we want or we don't want and the second is it is a story of tree cover versus uh, forest land and that story is being played out every 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 year you know my my problem is this ecologists and environmentalists in india has been very critical of our performance it is not that we are trying to whitewash or brownwash uh, india's environment performance okay all of us are very critical of what is happening in the country and that we are struggling okay on top of it if you have someone who is saying okay india is very very fine but someone else is very good and we don't agree with that 
that you are very good. I think that's, that is one of the fundamental problem uh, that EPI, we need now a open process of assessment of tree and forest and ecosystem health. Okay. So I, I agree with everything that both Changa and Sharad have said. I, one thing I would point out with on this, on this question of data, one of the things um, that I think is very dangerous is letting the government define the metrics it will use to measure success precisely because, for example, in India, you've had this massive increase in what is called forest uh, cover. It's all driven by plantations and, and you know, while natural forests have dropped. And that is a that is the sort of place where, you know, uh, engaging, I think, with these indices, I mean, I'm I'm trying to cast a positive spin on on this exercise in part so that you know there's some diversity so i agree with some of the criticisms but you know the advantage is you you decide you, you figure out indicators you figure out data sources that at the very least are are common now uh, the, i think this day again in this indicator are using tree cover loss from satellite data so india is doing better on this than than it should by some metrics depending on why you like it but at least it's it's a it's a data point that's being independently collected and that's similar across countries and so i think there's some value there so i would say the appropriate response to yale is to say okay let's think uh, about how we could measure natural forests uh, which is also should be part of their biodiversity calculation um, and then see how we're doing across you know the criticism of brazil for tree cover loss and the self-praise of the indian government for mm -hmm. quote-unquote forest gain are, are really talking about two very different things right one is the rainforest disappearing and one is plantations here i think that's a place where this kind of index helps if we can agree on the indicators get an objective sort of measurement that's outside of government I just also want to point out that it's, there's a funny contradiction here, right? When it came to biodiversity, the focus, because you couldn't measure the outcome very well, right. you uh, put a lot of emphasis on process and you say protected areas is the way to get to biodiversity conservation. So let's, uh, you know, measure how many uh, square kilometers of protected area you have. Now, when it comes to ecosystem services, it's, or in fact, even to biodiversity, it is also well acknowledged that local community involvement and people's rights is actually a better way to achieving uh, uh, you know, sustainable enhancement of the ecosystem services of all these areas. So, how come there is no measure of how how much have you decentralized rights over uh, trees or forests? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to local communities. If you took that as an indicator, you would have a very different picture of what's going on across the whole world, including in India, in terms of you know, not measure it as the outcome tree cover, but measure it as process decentralized control, and then you find a very different picture where we are a real laggard in spite of having the a landmark legislation of the Forest Rights Act of 2006. Moving on to air pollution, India ranked 179 in air quality, which is probably the least surprising ranking in the EPI. Ananth, do you agree with this ranking given the amount of pollution cities like Delhi face, or do you think it's too harsh? I mean, I, uh, I don't know about uh, agreeing with the ranking in the sense that air pollution in India is a big problem. We're definitely one of the most polluted countries in the world. Depending on how you count it, you can end up putting us at 180 or 170 or whatever. But I think that's, again, I don't think that's the important part. It's not a surprise either. So in some sense, you know, the, the environmental health portion of, of this index, which is basically your local air pollutants, is 
um, is not telling us something uh, we don't already know. I think it's a it's a difficult problem uh, problem to solve. I think it's fair to say that we have failed to solve the problem. It's fair to say, and this again is where I think these indices are useful. It's not particularly useful to compare India with London, but you can compare India with other countries uh, at the same income level, at the same population density. Um, mm-hmm. And there are many countries that are doing better, which suggests that even within that, um, you know, there's there's one view of air pollution, which is when you get rich, mm-hmm. you magically get clean. And until you get rich, you're right. never going to get clean. And so we basically don't worry about, you know, it's a, I, I'm simplifying a little bit, but it's a, it's a fairly common view. Um, and so if you look at the air pollution ranking that, that, you know, you, you could ask the question, okay, it's just looking at countries at our income level, at our population density, why are we worse, right? So, so there's certainly room to improve. Well, so then how hard is it to make a significant change in air quality levels? Because this is not a new problem, and yet it continues to just keep getting worse. So my view is a large part of it is regulation. Um, ultimately, air pollution is the sort of problem that gets solved through economy-wide regulation. Um, most polluting sources you know, will only respond to that. So I think when you see air pollution, you have to ask sort of, is the legal and regulatory system achieving its goals? And I think the answer to that is no. See, uh, first of all, I agree that there is a regulatory problem with air pollution in India. But there is also a fundamental problem of economy that we need to understand. No country in the world has been able to solve air pollution without getting rid of biomass or solid fuel. I'm talking about combustion of solid Mm -hmm. fuels. Your energy basket is also your air pollution basket, more or less. Okay. Now, India consumes, burns. We we Mm -hmm. combust around 2.2 billion tons of material. Okay. And uh, out of 2.2 billion ton, 1.6 billion ton is coal and biomass. So 80% of what we burn is coal and biomass. Now go to any country, China, for example, or Western, Western country, apart uh, from the work they have done on air pollution and, and industrial regulation, the fundamental way they have reduced air pollution is by eliminating biomass and coal. It's not a rocket science. Now, if we are not able to reduce and biomass is a problem of poverty, which we need to recognize. Okay. And coal is the problem of energy access. The way India will reduce its air pollution is also the way India will solve its climate challenge. So there's big convergence here. You reduce your coal and biomass, you will also reduce your uh, air pollution. So in a way, it is also a co-benefit. But the fundamental reason why India will not be able to resolve a lot of its air pollution challenge is because of our energy mix. Say, for example, automobile pollution. Tomorrow, if all the vehicles in India move to electric vehicle, we will be able to reduce cumulative term, our air pollution by about 20%. Okay, that's what the contribution Mm -hmm. of automobile is to air Mm -hmm. pollution. 80% problem will not be solved. Going forward in preparation for the upcoming COP27, what should India be doing, especially since we've seen an increased coal production target? uh, This uh, Russia-Ukraine crisis could have been an opportunity for all of us India, US, China, everyone to start investing massively uh, in renewable energy. Right. 
what is happening is that fossil fuel companies have taken that as an opportunity this this short term uh, deficit in energy supply has been taken mm-hmm. as an opportunity to open new fossil fuel establishments coal mines oil well gas uh, that is happening in europe if uk wanted to open a coal mine now uh, which is being opposed germany is opening its hard coal mine a uh, us is opening new uh, oil well and mine. gas uh, establishment and india of course uh, is opening uh, its coal mine so i don't think the message of mm-hmm. uh, russia ukraine crisis have been internalized in a in a correct fashion by countries okay so by the short term deficit that we have uh, and for that we are open new fossil fuel uh, supply chain it is going to last for 20 to 30 years so i think that there has been a, a major mistake been done across the world uh, on how we have uh, looked at uh, this yeah. this crisis as far as india is concerned uh, i think that in short term india's coal consumption will increase because our demand is also growing renewable is not is meeting some of the, those demand but not all the demand so fossil fuel consumption is going to increase in short term if we are smart you know we will try and uh, peak coal as quickly as possible that would be the road map for india so india's coal consumption let me just make it very mm-hmm. clear india's coal consumption will increase in short term before it peaks and start declining after recording this discussion i reached out to yale to get a little more clarification about the methodology and some of the points that were raised by our panel of experts Some parts of the following statement are paraphrased for clarity. The principal investigator for the EPI, Martin Wolf, said in an email that the EPI's indicators are normalized so that countries are not penalized for being large or having a large population. With regards to tree cover loss, the indicator ranks countries on the proportion of forests that have been lost since the earliest accurate global records in 2000. This methodological choice allows cross-country comparisons, and countries are ranked on how well they are preserving their forests, not on how many forests they have. Similarly with biodiversity, he said it reflects the principle of standardization, and countries are ranked on what percentage of sensitive ecosystems are designated as protected areas, not on the total area of protected areas. As far as climate change goes, Wolf said that the stance that the Indian government and several experts are taking on how climate indicators should be based on per capita emissions or historical emissions actually runs contrary to global climate policy. He writes the Glasgow Climate Pact, approved by 197 countries including India, sets a goal for all countries to move to net zero greenhouse gas emissions by mid-century and to begin the transition to carbon-free economies now. While the principle of common but differentiated responsibilities may entitle India to technological assistance, it does not sanction ever-growing greenhouse gas emissions. He also added that criticisms that the EPI's climate change metrics do not account for historical emissions, renewable energy capacity, and the extent of carbon sinks misunderstands the aim of the analysis and runs contrary to the sustainability community's expert consensus. Wolf further added that while India has made commendable progress in expanding renewable energy and is now one of the top 5 largest producers of clean energy, it remains the world's third largest and second fastest growing source of greenhouse gas emissions. Wolf's statement concluded saying the 2020 EPI's data-driven environmental metrics can improve public health, enhance ecosystem vitality, and focus attention on climate mitigation 
but only if India's leaders embrace scientific insights and act on the critical issues that environmental metrics highlight. They also encourage the ministry to leverage the index's findings to better understand the country's environmental performance and implement good, effective policies. As far as headlines go, a couple of major things have happened since this discussion was recorded as well. An analysis by the Center for Science and Environment found that the summer of 2022 has been the second hottest in India, with heat waves and monsoons set to become increasingly extreme. The Union Environment Ministry updated their provisions of the forest conservation rules. The latest version allows forest land to be diverted for industry use without needing to answer any questions posed by forest dwellers and tribals who historically reside in those areas. Opponents of the revised rules say it violates the Forest Rights Act 2006 and a 2009 government order, which made it mandatory for the free, prior, and informed consent from families in these areas before the land is diverted for other uses. And a response to a Lok Sabha question revealed that Delhi's air quality remains poor for about half of the year, not just during the winters when the situation appears to worsen. An air quality index of over 200 signifies a bad day, which the National Capital Territory of Delhi saw for about 45% of the year from 2019 to 2021. Today's panelists all agree that we should really use this opportunity to reflect. Why is it that we are now in a jam where somebody in Yale and Columbia produces with clearly faulty uh, set of indicators, uh, you know, applied to our country in a very aggregate way anyway, which kind of distracts us from getting into a really useful debate on how are we managing our environment. That India needs its own benchmarks to track progress. But we need something which will track performance because in the absence of that, to judge whether, whether, whether our policies are working or not uh, is becoming very difficult. And now there's a conversation about measurement and how to track progress. So if we get that out of being ranked 180 by Yale, I think we will be better off on net if we, if we produce those domestic trackers. We need to really reflect on why is it that we have not been able to further democratize the production of information and discussion on the performance of a country such as India. That's it for this week's episode, but I'll be back soon to break down the next big data story. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for The Data Point by The Hindu. Thanks for listening.